Hey, good morning, friends. Uh, I want to say hello to those at Pleasant View, of course, and those of you worshiping the chapel. Uh, so honored to be able to share with you what's on my heart this morning. And uh, just got back from staff retreat. Uh, we've been out of town for the last three or four days and uh, kind of been brainstorming about the new vision God has sort of laid on our hearts. Uh, if you missed that, uh, we shared at church conference. If you missed it, we're also going to share it again uh, in early October as a church. But very excited about what God is doing. And on top of all that, we're, of course, celebrating graduates. And so it's just a wonderful day to be in church. It's a wonderful day to be with you. Let's start with a word of prayer. We'll get started. Lord, you're beautiful to us. Thank you for these incredible people and the high honor of being able to share with them what you've placed on my heart uh, as we wind up this pieces series. Lord, it's been huge for us. This series has been significant for our marriages and our families, for sex, for our sexuality. And Lord, I just trust today you would bring all the healing that we need, all the hope we need in each of those broken areas and, uh, and you would bring glory to your name. So give us open hearts. Give me the words to say. And, uh, and we'll, we'll give you praise. As we get into our cars and head home here in a little bit, we will give you all the praise and all the glory. It's in your name. Amen. Well, again, so thankful uh, to have you. We've been discussing this biblical worldview together. And uh, we've been kind of learning what it's like to see the world through a biblical lens and, and how how we're not looking for a box. We're not trying to get all the Christians to look and act the exact same way. Um, that would be boring. We're not looking for cookie cutter. But a biblical worldview actually provides a platform. And from that platform, we all discover life, this full color life that Jesus promises. And this is where we've landed at sort of a base level for a biblical worldview. And it's this. Everything belongs to God, the good and the bad and the ugly, uh, the successes and the failures, everything, everything belongs to God. And God has taken part of everything he has and he's entrusted it to us. He's entrusted part of his creation to us. He's entrusted marriage and parenting, sexuality, all these things to us. And one day we will give an account to Jesus for what we did with the things that he entrusted to us. This is how things are supposed to work. This is, this is God's design for things. But what happens is we end up giving away the things that God has entrusted to us for some other purpose than what God intended. And whenever that happens, brokenness takes place. And we end up with these broken pieces in our lives. And so in this series, we've been looking at this unholy trinity, if you will, of brokenness in our world. When we veer off of what God's intentions are or God's plan is in the areas of parenting, sexuality, and marriage. And, and these three areas carry some of the greatest hurt and greatest need in our lives. In fact, for many of us, one or more of these areas is so jacked up in our lives, is so broken that we're really not sure if we will ever get it back together again or if we will ever be able to put it back together again, which sort of leads to this incredible truth. All of these fractured pieces can be brought back together, but you, but we, we can't do it. We can't do it because if we could, isn't it true, we already would have done it. This is an incredible, stark cold kind of reality that eventually anyone who has peace has come to. You can't make this happen. This is how things are supposed to work, but sometimes when it falls apart, we can't make it 
make it right. So what we do is we try to forget. We try to numb. We try to ignore or try to pretend that we aren't broken. or, Or we try to pretend that the brokenness really doesn't hurt us at all. But it does. And we're lying. And in this moment right now, we all acknowledge that to be true. Jesus knows how the pieces of our lives work best. Jesus knows how the broken pieces of Tom's life will work best. And the reason that I say that with such confidence is because of these words that uh, these words from, from Paul that we've been talking about in the series. For by God, all things were created. It's one of the essential parts of our, of our biblical worldview platform. By God, all things were created. He was the designer, the originator, the initiator. He created all things according to a biblical worldview. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. And then Paul restates his position. All things, good, bad, ugly, all things are created by God and for God. And this changes everything because what this verse means is God has authority here because God created what is here if God designed it and God got the ball rolling and God originated everything that's here then it only makes sense that God has authority here and that means somebody knows what's going on and somebody knows how this whole thing works best here here's something else Jesus knows None of us in this room, none of us on any of the campuses or in the chapel or any of us on this planet, none of us have done this perfectly. Anyone who tells you or tries to convince you that they've done this whole thing perfectly, write this down, they are lying. It's not true. We know that is true about each other. So if you are visiting today and you have jacked up areas of your life, you are incredibly welcome here. In fact, you should feel at home here. This church doesn't throw stones because too many of those stones bounce back and end up hitting us. The difference maker for a good many of us in this room, the difference maker between those of us who are jacked up and those of us at a different state today, the difference is this. Some of us have experienced what the scriptures teach as repentance. And repenting means we, have, we, have, we are rethinking how we think about things. When we discover that God is the creator of all things and God has authority, that has caused us to rethink how we think about life, how we think about ourselves, how we think about shame, how we think about guilt. And that rethinking process has caused us to turn from what has been our agenda, what has been our plan, and turn toward the one who designed it, to God's plan and God's agenda and God's intention. We rethink how we think about what Jesus says is true. And we turn from our plan that is wrecked to his plan that is hopeful. So today as I stand here today, I need you to know I don't worry about heaven. I know that may surprise some of you, but I really don't worry about heaven and where I'm going to spend eternity. I spend 
zero time of my day questioning where I'm going to spend eternity. It never crosses my mind. I am surely, truly confident on where I'm going to be. I know that I'll be in heaven, not because of anything that I have done or deserved or merited, but only because of what Jesus has done for me. But here's the other side of that equation. Even though I know where I spend eternity, there are a lot of things in my life that I, I need help for today. I need help for today. I have a lot of areas of brokenness that I desire for Jesus to make whole today. Jesus can and Jesus has made a difference in the lives of many people of this church. And for the context of the Pieces series, Jesus can can make a difference in the brokenness of our marriage, our parenting, and our sexuality for today. For today. And that's kind of where this series is going to land. When good things become ultimate things, good things become destructive things. And this is what I'm trying to say by needing help for today. Here's what I mean. Marriage parenting and sexuality are good things they are truly gifts from god but none of these things are the ultimate thing and many folks that are alive are running after one of these things making a good thing the ultimate thing to the neglect of the most important thing and friends it's absolutely wrecking us it is breaking our souls It is causing areas of brokenness and hurt and shattered lives in the areas of marriage, parenting, and sexuality running rampant, not just in the life, but running rampant in our cultures. And you all all agree with me because there's only one degree from you to someone who has been shattered because of one of these three areas. And so people live their lives thinking, if I can just get married, if I can just have kids, if I can find acceptance through sexuality, if I can find acceptance through sexual confusion or sexual experimentation, or if I can get over the divorce, or if I can make this second marriage work, or if I can just get my kids to do what I want them to do. But the ultimate thing, the most important thing in all areas of our lives is Jesus Christ. Not through good works, not through perfect marriages, not through perfect children, not through, not through kind of perfect sexuality, or not through multiple sex part, partners or wild experimentation or a private porn habit, none of those things, but only through the person of Jesus Christ can the broken pieces of our lives be brought back together. And that's how I sort of want to end this series. I want to remind some of you, and maybe, maybe for some of you, you'll hear for the first time the true hope that the people of Alive have. For this entire series, I have asked you to take all of your baggage related to these three topics and sort of set it aside. All the brokenness in marriage and the areas of divorce and the betrayal and the broken trust, and I've asked you to set it aside. All the areas of sexuality and the pain and the struggles and the guilt and the shame that you've had, I've asked you to set those things aside. All of the senses of failure or, or, or um, 
sense of regret that you have as a parent, I've asked you to set those things aside. Today, I want you to take those things and bring them right back front and center. I want you to take all those areas of regret and shame and guilt producing and bring them front and center. And let's see what Scripture teaches us about those things. This again is the writing of Paul. And this is from the book of Ephesians in his chapter 2. Ephesians is a church that Paul started in, in Ephesus. And he can't get back to where the people are. And so because he's on doing some other work. And so he sends a letter back to the church. And this is what he writes. As for you, you were dead. And really, friends, you could write this as alive. As for alive, you folks were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. I'm going to come back to that. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath and so Paul's writing to this church and he sends a letter back and he basically reminds them of their story and you know what he reminds them of our story there was a day there was a day when all of us were this pile of broken pieces we weren't separated from all the broken people in the world we lived among them because we belonged with them we were part of them. We were one of them. And so we moved into the Broken Pieces neighborhood. And, and we went to the Broken Pieces high school. And we married a Broken Pieces spouse. We met online at brokenpieces.com. And we shopped for our kids at Broken Pieces clothes store. And we volunteered at the Broken Pieces fire department. And Alive, Alive believes this so deeply that we sort of use two words around here to remind us all of, the, all of this biblical truth. And we use them a lot. And the two words are this, me too. This is what we mean by that, me too. Everybody lives in the brokenness and nobody gets a pass. And so all those things we just brought back to front and center, of course, me too. All of us could bump into each other this morning in some kind of awkward way as we kind of held our broken boxes here in front of us. And as you walk around the Alive campuses today, don't, don't expect perfection. Certainly don't expect it up here on this platform. Don't expect it from our children. Don't expect it from our marriage. Don't expect it from this pastor or this staff because it doesn't live here. This whole sense of perfection as far as people that have never messed up, that doesn't live here. You can expect a me too community because that's who we are. And we Christians, we tend to forget this reality, this biblical reality. And when that happens, churches kind of form and they become the moral police. They become the Pharisees of the modern day. And churches can become self-righteous and, and we begin to put down broken people as if somehow we're better than they are. Self-righteous people attack other imperfect followers of Jesus because if we can put them down, then we feel better about our own unrighteousness. And we're actually known for killing our, killing our own because of it. And Paul is reminding everybody 
that there was a time when all of us were in the same broken pile, carrying the same broken pieces box, away from God, following all of our own passions. There was a time when that was true for all of us. And so he says, we were by nature objects of wrath. And if we had left the planet apart from Jesus, Paul reminds us, condemnation, wrath, and hell would have been our reality. The future was not bright. And the brokenness of this life would have been carried over into the next life. Don't miss this part of a biblical worldview. We spent this life telling God, we don't want anything to do with you. And when we die, we stand before God, and God gives us the very desire of our hearts. We spent our entire life on the planet saying, God, I want nothing to do with you. And when we die, God says, I'll give you what you want for eternity. And it's a dark, dark place. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Isn't this a great day? Let's take another offering. Who wants to take another offering? Now watch, because Paul is getting ready to turn this in magnificent fashion. And I am so excited that I don't have to end the message here, but there's incredible good news. Next verse, Paul continues to write, but because of God's great love for us. Some of you, that phrase is why God has you at church today. Because you have spent your entire life not believing. You have spent your entire life actually thinking God hates you. And that is nowhere, nowhere, nowhere in Scripture. You got that from some bad teaching or from some self-imposed exile that you're living. But it's not what Scripture teaches. The Scripture teaches just the opposite. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. Wouldn't that be a great name for a church someday? Made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our sin, even when we were dead in our transgressions, because it is by grace you have been saved. Some of you, that's why you're here today. You're not saved because you look and act and smell like a Christian. You're not saved because you don't have any of the broken pieces in a box. You're saved by grace. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages, Jesus might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Jesus Christ. Friends, let me summarize this. We were toast. We were lost. We were all Gamecock fans. It was horrible. We were broken with no hope. But there was a major difference maker. God has a great love for each one of us. And that love, that crazy nuts in love with you 
perspective of God's, that mercy actually allows us to carry the broken pieces of our lives and no longer set them aside, but now to bring them front and center and carry the broken pieces of our lives to Him. And you know what happens when we do that? He makes us alive in Christ. He turns broken into whole. He turns down sin and he turns up holy. He turns me into him. He turns shame into freedom. He turns death into life because he is the difference maker. And then Paul pens words that have to stay at the center of alive. These are key, core, DNA, chewy, chocolate center of the Tootsie Pop kind of words for this church. And anytime we get off these words, anytime we lose our way, we, are, we cease to be what God has made this church to be. This is the beacon of the church, and we can never lose focus on these words. Paul says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, And this isn't from yourselves. You did nothing for this. It's a gift. It's the gift. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that none of us can actually boast. Let me just take you through these words. It is by grace. You're not saved because you are amazing. You're not saved because your marriage is perfect. You're not saved because your children are perfect. You're not saved because your sexuality is pure and mistake-free. You are saved as a gift from God, and you cannot earn it. Because if you did, salvation would be a wage. Salvation isn't a wage. It's a free gift to all who believed. Saved. Saved from what? All that stuff Paul just wrote. The sin and the condemnation and wrath and hell. We are saved from those things. And all the brokenness we carry carry around in this life now has a future hope. It is now possible to take the pieces of brokenness and marriage, sexuality, and parenting and put them in Jesus. In faith. This is how we define faith around here. Faith is the belief that Jesus is who he says he is. And he will do everything that he's promised to do. So let me summarize Kind of what Paul has said to this point. Jesus died to pay for my sins and your sins. And he rose on the third day. And that's a big deal because when he rose on the third day, it was confirmation that Jesus is who he says he is. And Jesus is able and willing to keep every promise he has made to us for this life and for the next. This is the first mission This is the first call of every child of God. It isn't parenting. It isn't marriage. It is not a stellar sexual history. It's not to feed the poor, to build houses for habitat. It is only this hope. And once this hope is in place, we can do all those other things, but this hope must be in place first because now we're ready to hear Paul's spectacular words in verse 10. Because of God's free gift of grace and salvation, because we have been saved, grace, salvation, and faith, we are God's workmanship. Some of the translations have the word 
masterpiece right here. Handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus. God's handiwork. God's masterpiece. Tom didn't make himself his own masterpiece. Tom didn't make himself his own handiwork. God did this in my heart and life. Created in Christ Jesus now to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. Once we've experienced Jesus, then we can live for what we were created for. And only then. First there is grace. Then there's the changed life. And anytime we try to get those two things confused or out of order, self-righteousness begins to sink in. All things belong to Jesus. Sin separates us from our Creator. Grace brings us back and makes a changed life possible, then we are able to live whole and complete lives. This man, Jesus, changes everything. He has certainly changed the life of this man standing before you this morning. And you know what motivates me as I lead my life now? I told you that I don't worry about heaven anymore. But let me tell you what motivates me now as I lead my life. I'll often think about Jesus' words that he gave on the Sermon on the Mount. You've probably heard these words before. Even if you don't go to church on a regular basis, you've probably heard something like this. And Jesus is actually speaking to people just like us. These weren't like weird people, sanctified kind of people that are like never done anything bad in their lives. You know, these were just people, normal, everyday people. Some were believers. And he says, you now, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. And many of us probably heard grandma tell us that. And and we all know she wasn't telling the truth. Grandmas always say nice things to us. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled. I've heard this verse my whole life, and I've heard a lot of great sermons on this verse. I understand that salt is a flavor enhancer. It takes bland and gives color, gives life flavor and meaning. I understand salt is a preservative. Jesus is saying we are a conduit of God's mercy preserving hope in the lives of the people we do life with. I understand that salt can actually be medicinal. It can be used to clean wounds. And we are healers in this broken world to broken people. But when Jesus refers to salt, it's the second part of his words here that really sort of mess me up and that I think we got to understand. If the salt loses its saltiness, See, if you and I need salt and more salt, we can just go to the cabinet and we get some more salt of the little blue can with the girl with the umbrella. We just sort of get that and we refill the salt shakers. Not true in Jesus' day. Everybody listening to Jesus that day, if they needed salt, they understood that salt came from the mine or the cave. And what happens is the salt is actually put in between all the different limestone and you actually had to pull the salt out of that. But if the limestone or the cave was left exposed to the elements, what would happen is the water and the wind would come and all the salt would sort of fall out of that limestone and would basically come on the ground and there would be no more salt left. 
And that limestone then became used only for one thing or two things. One, you could use that limestone to build gra- gra- gravel. In other words, things that, something that could be trampled on the ground. But you could also use that, that lime, you know what else you used it for? To cover the smell of something that is dead. We still use it today that way. You could use it in an outhouse to kind of throw lime down in there and maybe, maybe keep the smell down. So what, look at what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is actually saying is, your life and my life is to make a difference in the people around us. We're to enhance, preserve, and bring healing wherever we go. Or, our lives will just cover up the stink of what is rotting or decaying just below the surface. Our lives will be used to hide what's dying just below the surface. Our lives will be lived in such a way that we pretend there is no broken box here. And we'll try to cover that up. And then Jesus says these next words. And I can't help but think about our church in this. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Now this is really a challenging verse because what Jesus usually said was, I am the light of the world. He was referring to himself. I'm the light of the world. People living in darkness. I am the light of the world. But in this incredible passage, not here, he changes it. And I'll tell you something else he does. The you in this verse, this word right here, you are the light of the world, that's plural in these words. Jesus is getting biscuits and gravy and sweet tea on us. Jesus is going southern on us right here. Because it literally says, Jesus literally says, you all. Or, or in Six Mile or Belton, you'd say, all y'all, all y'all are the light of the world. Are the light of the world. You all are the light of the world. And re- the reason these verses stay with me is because I think and I believe that Jesus was thinking about alive that day. He was thinking about this church and a mess of other churches. He was thinking about his bride. He was trying to urge us, implore us, you are the light of the world. Own it, live it, believe it, risk it, tell it, shout it, share it, build on it, breathe it. You are, all of you are the light of the world. Friends, this life you have is your life. I'm not talking about the one you hope for. I'm not talking about if you make a certain amount of money. I'm not talking about if you get the right different relationship. I'm not speaking about if you had a different sexual history. I'm not speaking if you had a different sexual identity. This life, the one you have right now as you sit in your seat, this is the life you have. And you can wish for something more, but what you have today, your marriage, your parenting, your children, your sexuality, this is your life. And listen, you are uniquely positioned to be salt and light in your world. Nobody else can bring salt and light into your marriage. Nobody else can bring salt and light into the lives of your children. 
Nobody else can bring salt and light into your sexual history, present or future. The responsibility lies with you and it lies with me. But we cannot do it alone. Tom can't repair the brokenness in his marriage. Tom can't repair the brokenness in the lives of my children, the mistakes I made as a parent. Tom can't repair his sexual history. And so Jesus invites all of us to bring our brokenness of these areas to him and to make us whole. And then Jesus comes and repairs brokenness in our marriages, in our children, in our sexuality. We were supposed to have a baptism service last Sunday. Uh, but the thunderstorms came, which actually made me think that maybe one or two of you really weren't ready to be baptized and God was letting us all know that. I don't know if that's possible or if that's true, but that's sort of what I thought. We got rained out. I actually think it's because someone, maybe several someones who are listening to the sound of my voice, need to own this truth as their truth today. I believe some of you are ready to put your faith in Jesus Christ today for the first time. I believe some of you are actually ready to return to your childlike faith in Jesus Christ. Because you heard the story of His grace and you heard the story of His mercy and you put that up against the dark, shame, grimness of your life. And it overwhelms. Perhaps it even moves you to tears or you fight a lump in your throat the whole time we've been talking or makes your palms sweat or maybe your heart beats fast. I don't know. Whoever it looks and feels as you sit there, you know that God is calling you. He's calling you to his side. And I know there's fear, but let me tell you what he's calling you for. He wants to take your brokenness and make you whole. That's what he wants to do. And all you have to do is ask. And there's no magic formula. You just pray and you ask God to help you to rethink everything you think about your marriage, your parenting, sexuality, or any area that you think you've placed outside of God. And if that's you, if you think God is speaking to you in that way, you get an opportunity to do that right now. You can do it while I'm talking. And you just basically tell God, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Will you forgive me? Will you save me? And this is what I want you to do. I want you to sign up for baptism. Next week, we're going to try it again. Both here and Pleasant View Campus, we're going to try it again. Sign up for baptism. And by that, you're saying this. You're not saying, Tom, my life is all perfect now. No, no, no. You're saying, Tom, my life is still jacked up. Well, of course it is. Because you have to receive grace before you can receive his healing. We bring brokenness to Jesus, not perfection. And once you receive the grace of Jesus, then the healing begins. Baptism is how you tell the world. Baptism is how you tell the world, I'm part of that tribe. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. 
He's taken all of my brokenness and he's making me whole. And I think some of you should consider signing up today. You do that. All the instructions, I'm sure, are on the app or in the programs, but you do that if God's prompting you to do so. Let me have a word of prayer with you. Oh, Lord, thank you for these beautiful people. High on our being able to share with them what you've placed on my heart today. And, Lord, I'm so excited to be able to share the story of grace and mercy. And, Lord, there are some folks I know who are listening to the sound of my voice who this is their day. They will find themselves falling back to you a broken, dirty, smelly mess of a life that we've created because all of us have done that. And we're looking you in the eyes and just basically saying, God, would you heal me? Maybe some are saying, God, will you even have me? And I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would allow us to see into your eyes and you would grasp our dirty faces with your hands and say, you are my child. You are my workmanship, my masterpiece, my handiwork. Of course I'll have you. Some of you are praying that right now. God, God, accept me. And he is. He is. And I know the temptation is to think about the reasons he shouldn't. None of your sin is greater than God's grace. And so God is healing and restoring you right now. And if God grants you the forgiveness of heart, then you go public next week. I'll meet you in the tank. You go public next week. And let the world know you are now part of the tribe of Jesus Christ. All praise, all honor, all glory. Go to you in your name, Jesus. Amen.